Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Hey, good morning. It's Paige Browning. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, we learned more about Boeing's quality control processes from an anonymous employee. The Secretary of State is warning voters to watch out for deep fakes ahead of March's primary election. And Lily Gladstone was nominated for an Oscar, which left Seattle media wanting a piece of the glory. Two Beautiful to Live co-host Andrew Walsh and Seattle Now producer Vaughn Jones are here to break down the week. But first, let's get you caught up. Alaska Airlines wants Boeing to foot the bill for the cost of grounding its fleet of 737 MAX 9 planes. It says the disruption cost the company $150 million. The Seattle Times reports the comments came during an earnings call this week. Alaska has canceled and rearranged hundreds of flights over the last three weeks following that terrifying fuselage blowout. Yesterday, the FAA cleared the way for the MAX 9 jets to begin flying again in the coming weeks. Big layoffs are coming at two local institutions. REI is letting go of more than 350 people, including 200 at REI's headquarters in Sumner. In a message to employees Thursday, CEO Eric Arts said revenue in the outdoor retail industry has been down for the past year. In some separate but related news, Microsoft is cutting 1,900 jobs in its gaming division. That's 8% of the group. Not clear yet how many of those will be in the Seattle area. Those cuts are coming three months after Microsoft completed the controversial acquisition of video game giant Activision Blizzard. And if you're driving on the east side this weekend, keep an eye open for light rail trains. Sound Transit says trains will be taking practice runs through Bellevue and Redmond every 15 minutes. Service on part of the two lines scheduled to start sometime this spring, although the connection over the I-90 bridge to Mercer Island and Seattle is still delayed. Those stations will remain closed until next year. Hey, hey, it's Friday. Hope you've got some good weekend plans. Andrew Walsh is here. He's a host of the Too Beautiful to Live podcast. How's it going, Andrew? Great. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. And Vaughn Jones is here. They're a producer here on Seattle Now. How are you, Vaughn? I'm honored to be here. Extremely happy. So before we dive in, it was 19-cent burger day at Dick's Drive-In this week. People come from all over to line up and grab a cheap burger It's only one per person, and everything else on the menu is full price. But the lines were very long, as they always are when someone's offering a great deal. Dick's is a local icon, but I'm wondering, would you wait in line for that long, Vaughn? 
I found myself, I actually, so I, I take the, the 44 bus home and I found myself when we passed by, there was a window open and when we passed by the Wallingford Dicks location, I got like a very simple waft of the smell. And I was like, <laughs> I need to, I was, I was like, I want to get off the bus right now, but I had to do something at home. And so I passed by, it was a unique combination of like smelling it, but then also looking at the lines like out of the parking lot, like people waiting to get their stuff. And I was like, is this worth it? I don't know. But wow, that smelled so good. (laughs) What about you, Andrew? Did you line up for a cheap 19 cent burger? I do not. I want to say shout out to Vaughn. I didn't know you were also a bus rider. Bus riders unite. That's how I like to get around town as well. Um, But no, I have my whole life. I have been like just I guess the the term is no fun when it comes to like free food or whatever. I never understood unless you're just like really, really down and out. And I feel like if you're really, really down and out, you still can probably find something better to do with your time than to wait, you know, in a huge long line for free or free-ish food. I just, I same with um, sort of food culture at the office when we all went to, into the office together. I don't know if you guys remember those days, but then like somebody would bring free food and people would freak out over it and they were freaking out over food because it was free, whereas they would never really even consider this food in any other context. There's something that happens. I'm just like, you guys can have that. I'm going to spend $5 and just go to the vending machine. Okay, you two, let's dive into our big story this week. We keep learning more and more about Boeing after flight 1282's door plug blew off midair earlier this month. First, we see a real quality control issue at Boeing. Inspections from the FAA and Alaska Airlines found many loose bolts on the 737 MAXs, according to Alaska Air CEO Ben Minicucci. And United Airlines corroborated that claim, saying they found quite a few as well. Both Alaska Air and United are saying that they're debating whether to even use Boeing's next iteration, the 737 MAX 10. And on top of that, Hawaiian Airlines, which Alaska is in the process of buying, is already buying used planes from Boeing's rival, Airbus. We don't know where this story will end for Boeing, but it is startling to see such a turbulent few weeks for a member of Seattle's old guard of massive businesses. What happens now? What are you going to be watching for? You know, as a flyer, um, and I am, I don't know if I want to describe myself as a nervous flyer because that might paint a picture of me like kind of white knuckling it through every flight. And, And that's not the case. But I am the type of person who flies several times a year, probably. And when I'm up in the sky, it's never lost on me that I'm up in the sky. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not nervous the whole time, but I'm always like, I, I'm always aware of my surroundings and realizing, are humans supposed to be doing this, you know? And so in a story like this, I've been hearing people say, well, I'm not going to fly in that particular jet anymore. I'm going to book around it. But I'm, I can't imagine living my life. It's hard enough to book flights, isn't it? To find the right flight that's going to be a nonstop to where you're going. Like, I can't imagine adding another layer of, oh, also what, you know, what jet, what type, what model airliner is going to take me there. So I don't foresee myself making any personal, you know, changes in how I book flights. I 
I, I think for me, and I don't know if we want to get too deep into this, but it's just it's just such a bummer to see that Boeing has been lobbying for years, you know, to have less government oversight and saying, hey, no, no, we can regulate ourselves. Don't worry, we can oversee ourselves. And like this is I mean, it's what is there any industry that we want them less regulating themselves? Like I want all of the oversight. Vaughn, what about you? What are you watching for next? Yeah, I think this is kind of a tipping point from a consumer perspective of like, we all know that air travel has been terrible for a really long time. Like, I remember very recently where I was talking about, oh, you know, I spent the extra 25 bucks or whatever to pay for an assigned seat so that I could sit next to my partner. And that was something that they took from people. Like that was something that you used to just be able to do for free. And I think as a consumer, like so much of air travel has become progressively worse. And I think this is hopefully maybe a tipping point to push things more in that consumer direction and make things a little bit better. But I think from like a Seattle perspective, I'm really interested because before Amazon and before Microsoft, that is what people moved here to do. So I'm really interested to see like, where this takes Boeing and whether or not people really want to continue to work there. And this is reminding us that Alaska Air is headquartered here and Boeing keeps much of its factory work here. So the companies actually have a pretty close relationship. Alaska Air CEO Manny Cucci then told NBC News this week, I'm angry that he's more than frustrated and he is demanding that Boeing take a hard look at its quality control programs Yesterday, Boeing took a step in that direction. They completely shut down 737 jet production at the Renton facility to hold quality control workshops. You two, even once quality protocols change on the assembly lines at Boeing, consumer confidence is not looking good today. At least one flight booking site, Kayak, allows you to filter out flights that are on a 737 MAX. Has this whole past few weeks made either of you more aerophobic 737 max phobic i definitely i understand because there is now like a market need for people who are really nervous about this stuff i understand a website kind of jumping on that trend that i wouldn't be surprised if more follow um I have to fly at least maybe once or twice a year. I have family down in Arizona and that drive is, you know, a 24 hour drive. Uh, and there's no, uh, national rail system. Cough, cough. Um, so that, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to have to fly. And I have a, a good friend of mine who actually, uh, right after this door plug blew out, uh, flew on Alaska to California to fly on Japan Airlines to Japan, which also had like a high profile incident recently. And he was like, I may never fly again after that. He like got on a plane and was so nervous the entire time. And like, it's, it's going to be a while for me, I think. I think we're going to need a few months for any investigations to wrap up and for like serious changes to me be made before I consider getting on a plane again. Andrew, you've talked about being sort of a nervous flyer already. Yeah. And, you know, Vaughn alluded to the fact that flying is kind of a pain anyway, depending on kind of how often you do it and the types of travel that you're engaged in. But, you know, the the transportation to get to the airport, the TSA lines, everything like that. I'm the type of person who will for a moment consider, hey, 
could I make this a road trip? Because I like road trips anyway, right? And so I had a work trip where I had to take a whole bunch of audio gear to Denver from Seattle a couple of years ago. And I realized I don't want to try to get all this stuff through the airport. Why don't I just rent a car and drive to Denver and have a little road trip by myself? And it was it was kind of fun and interesting. But here's the irony there. I don't have the stats in front of me, but isn't it conventional wisdom that like if I'm going to get into a life-threatening accident, it's more likely to happen on American roads than in the skies. Like, I mean, that's the irony, and that's where also where sort of phobia kicks in as well. Like I was saying before, like, if I'm if I'm hurtling through the sky 30,000 feet above the ground, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. But just being on the ground, driving 70 miles per hour with a bunch of people around me, and one person doesn't pay attention for one moment, and we're, we're in a situation, like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's hard to rationalize. And then this week, we heard even more about Boeing from an anonymous whistleblower. Seattle Times reporter Dominic Gates wrote about this, writing that the door plug that blew off on January 5th had already been removed for repair and then reinstalled improperly by Boeing mechanics in Renton. This is according to a whistleblower. It's not clear whether Boeing or its parts supplier, Spirit Aerosystems, was at fault for that fuselage issue. But this whistleblower wrote, and I quote, The reason the door blew off is stated in black and white in Boeing's own records. It is also very, very stupid and speaks volumes about the quality culture at certain portions of the business. The culture. What must the work culture be like at Boeing right now? I could not imagine working at Boeing. I cannot imagine wanting to work at Boeing right now. Just like you said, Andrew, like this is years and years of, okay, yeah, we can self-regulate. We have our own regulations. You don't need to regulate us. And now we're hearing from this whistleblower that these internal systems just don't work. Using the word stupid in like an official whistleblower post of like, this is like this person who works at Boeing thinks that these processes are dumb and just don't work. And that is so staggering to me that, again, as we described it, like one of the old guards of Washington and Seattle and one of the leaders in airplane manufacturing is working on dumb or stupid (laughs) processes and quality control. Yeah, it seems like once again, it's just like the... the, um... The strive for higher profits and and I'm assuming more, you know, CEO pay, higher CEO pay and those types of things are are trickling down on the rest of us in ways that are, um, well, in this case, absolutely dangerous. And, and talking about like you're, you're hearing stories and I can't cite them directly, but people inside of Boeing saying there's just such an emphasis on profit above all else right now, including safety. Well, nobody wants to hear that. I had alluded earlier to reporting about the lobbying efforts of Boeing over time. And that's not even like lobbying. You know, that's that's both parties are responsible for that. The the idea of just money in politics. I mean, this story is so much bigger than just Boeing. It's talking about what happens when society, um, you know, spotlights money above all, all else. Yeah. And it's reminding me of reporter Dominic Gates being on Seattle Now recently talking about when you outsource work or increase quotas, put pressure on people. Your culture suffers and the quality of work can suffer. And that matters a lot when what you're building is airplanes. What do you think other companies can learn from Boeing here? Don't get in the plane business. 
<laughs> I think number one, I mean, 2023 felt like a really strong year for labor movements in general. And so I think this is just a, the latest example of like, the modern workforce is not one that is going to be mistreated. It's not one that's going to, to take sort of a, not one that's going to be docile while there are things that can improve. And I think Boeing potentially could be made a really upsetting example of, because there were people whose lives were put at risk as a result of some of this company culture. And, but I, I think companies will learn from Boeing and will learn from labor movements in general in the past couple of years that like, you know, workers aren't really to be messed with in the modern workforce. Hopefully. Um, I feel like the only thing that motivates companies, though, is the bottom line. And so if market forces and, and, and these high profile events push those market forces for a company like Boeing to make changes, that's great. But it's such a unique industry because there's not a lot of competition, right? I mean, there, you mentioned mm -hmm. Airbus. And then if it's so essentially like globally, these are the two main companies going at it like then what, then there's just Airbus? And is that going to lead to better working conditions, having one company <laughs> calling all the shots in the world? I'm hearing that we should, the three of us, start our own airplane manufacturing company. Oh, okay. That's what um, you're hearing? And that we could, yeah, that's what I'm hearing <laughs> at this moment, is we should, is we should put pressure on these, on these giants of industry by, by becoming mavericks and really revolutionizing the space. Okay, good. I have some balsa wood around here somewhere. <laughs> Our next topic now. As journalists, we sometimes get emails from the Secretary of State or the Attorney General's office warning of potential scams because they want us to get the word out. This latest one we got, though, really goes beyond the usual realm of scams. It's a phone recording of President Biden telling people not to vote. It's a fake, a deep fake. Secretary of State Steve Hobbs said this week that we have several high-interest elections this year, which creates a target-rich environment for these bad actors to subject voters to deep fakes and other misinformation. And he gave this warning after people in New Hampshire actually reported getting calls from Biden, allegedly telling them to skip voting on Tuesday because their vote matters more in November. This is really a terrifying, very, very misleading use of artificial intelligence. AI voice technology has been getting better and better over the past few years, so much that you can send out a scam call sounding like the President of the United States. Are we getting a little too close to the sun here on AI tech? It is. It is fascinating. I'm not the type of person who says we must stop technology or we must stop this technology because I just I don't think that makes sense. And I don't think anybody's ever going to do that. So we must find out how to properly regulate and use and maintain the technology, because I, I just don't think you can say, yeah, technology has gone too far. Let's roll it back, boys. Like, it's just not it's just <laughs> not going to work that way. But that is not to be glib about it and say that it is not concerning, because I am blown away by this deep fake technology. Um, 
you know, I host a podcast with my co-host Luke Burbank, and uh, we have some listeners who like to play around with AI stuff and deepfake stuff. And so I think it was just a, several years ago, they one of our listeners made a, a fake intro of our show with like fake versions of me and Luke. And I remember being like, oh, wow, that's kind of uncanny. But it was like pretty clearly fake. And, that, you know, um, but it was a weird thing to hear. Um, and then as the technology just in the past couple of years has gotten better wow. and better, we have a listener, Stephen, who will who will create like fake celebrity voices talking about TBTL, my podcast, and like send it in. And like I have oh, I, I have Andy this. Rooney talking about how what? great my podcast is, which is something. And then I asked Stephen, uh, this listener of our show, if he could create this one because he, he uses this voice quite a bit and sends it in to us. And I asked him if he could create this for, for KUOW. From WHYY in Philadelphia, I'm a deep fake of Terry Gross. I was created by a listener of Andrew's podcast. I sound pretty real, don't I? <gasps> that... You don't see Vaughn wow. and I's jaws dropped hearing fake Right? Terry that Gross. is a lot. Um, that's a lot to process. I agree that we, like, can't... We have crossed the Rubicon and we cannot uncross the Rubicon. Um... Ironically right. enough, speaking of Joe Biden specifically, I'm going to show my I'm one of KOW's resident uh, Gen Z folks. Uh, when I go on TikTok because yes. I have an interest in video <laughs> games, sometimes I will get TikToks of like pre-written skits and they're of U.S. presidents like playing video games with each other <laughs> on like a voice chat and all and they're they're not even really that funny, but I'll sit and watch them just because of the wonder and amazement of like, wow, this sounds like donald trump telling joe biden that he's bad at call of duty and it's like that is so and i realize that that is training this ai to, to sound more realistic we've heard like of certain journalists who have their voices out online a lot of radio journalists who are like yeah my mom just got a call uh from a deep fake version of me saying that i was like kidnapped and asking for ransom and this is like oh we wow. are reaching my like a level nightmare. of like of AI where we're just so anything could happen. And we're looking at that with voices. We're looking at that with images and we're starting to get there with video too, where the stuff can be so convincingly faked that if we don't get behind, like making sure that every social media, every like platform of content polices and make sure to let people know that things are AI created, then we are going to enter an age of misinformation that is like a hundred times more terrifying than the last one. Okay. You two, one last thing before we go. Congrats to Lily Gladstone for their Oscar nomination this week. Quite a stunning performance in Killers of the Flower Moon. Gladstone is also the first Indigenous person to be nominated for a Best Actress Award at the Oscars. This is a tremendous achievement, of course. <laughs> and Seattle area media wants a piece of it. Though Gladstone is really a Montanan. But media here, KUOW included, I should say, is hailing her tremendous achievement with Actress From Here stories. Gladstone grew up on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in Montana, graduated from the University of Montana one year before me at U of M, I should add. But she did attend middle and high school in Mount Lake Terrace, Washington. Why are we so inclined to claim famous people as our own in Seattle? They're going to say, Lily did visit the fish market once and enjoyed it. 
<laughs> that could There's be true. There's a distinct possibility. I don't know why Seattle is so like quick to claim or like wants to claim. I think this is like a hyper local news thing too. One of my favorite like hyper local news stories mm. from a sports angle is when Tom Brady retired, one of the most like ubiquitous and famous football players ever. New York local news was like t- Tom Brady, who lost two Super Bowls to the New York Giants, uh, <laughs> retired today. Um, and it's like, wow, yeah, yeah. I think there, there. As a local journalist, you hear a lot that like every story is a local story, and you need mm-hmm. to find a way to localize it. Absolutely. And I think there is that slight push there from newsrooms around Seattle with Lily Gladstone. There does seem to be some. I, I I've been struggling with this because I had a feeling this was going to come up today, and I, I don't want to be rude <laughs> to any of Seattle's celebrities. But I've lived in, I think, maybe like five different cities from small towns in New Hampshire to Cleveland to L.A. I think they have some celebrities, too. Um, and so I've and, and by the way, Seattle is my favorite place. Seattle is the only place I've ever come back to. I love Seattle. Love I it. feel like I really need to caveat this. We're going to claim you. <laughs> and, I, and I claim Seattle. I think of myself as a, as a Seattleite. I've only moved here in, uh, in 2009. But... Um, I did notice pretty early on in moving to Seattle that Seattle specifically has a tendency to really elevate its sort of B-level celebrities mm. in a way. <laughs> and I like I'm Who really nervous. B-level? Yeah, well, that's that's exactly why. That's the thing. I don't right? dare you call. Anybody. I guess I don't mind calling out Macklemore. <laughs> Who I've heard wonderful things about like Sir honestly how dare yeah. you call Bill Nye the science guy a B-level celebrity <laughs> and like actually Sir Mix-a-Lot is another person who I, I did I was I was hesitant to bring that name up because again I know people who know both of those guys and they just sound like wonderful human beings and I don't yeah. want to take anything away from from them but and, and this is where I'm going to really even take a swipe at the greater region and I, and I do so lovingly but I, when I moved to Seattle I found it to be the biggest provincial city I lived in, if that makes sense. Hmm. And I think provincial has a negative connotation, and I do not mean it that way. But um, I've lived in a lot of cities where people sort of grow up there and then they move somewhere else, or a lot of people kind of come in. And I feel like one of the things I like about the Seattle area is so many people who I meet, adults, have grown up here, have gone to the UW, have, have, you know, gone to one of the local universities, have maybe moved away but came back here. And I'm almost jealous of that because they have these connections both with the places around here and the people around here that I don't have as sort of a, as an interlope as an mm. interloper. So I'm not sure if that ties into this as well. Sort of like Seattle is a real city. Seattle, I consider to be a big city, but it is still a city that is sort of feels like a small town in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I I will say there is this uh, talking about Lily Gladstone. There's a picture of Lily and classmate Josh Ryder, who actually owns a restaurant in town. They're in the Mount Lake Terrace High School yearbook listed as most likely to win an Oscar. (laughs) That is very cool. Nice. But it's like Lily Gladstone this year, Bob Barker last year when he passed away, he was born in Darrington. That was about the extent of his time here. While we're claiming people, anyone you would want Seattle to claim? You mean, <laughs> do they have to have any sort of claim? <laughs> I mean, do they have to have any sort of stake here? I'm a big fan of Joel McHale. He's a he's a proud okay. local boy, right? <laughs> uh, he was not born here. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., please. No, Joel McHale was born. No, Ken Griffey Jr., please. 
Uh, I want yeah, I to claim. I want to, Seattle needs to claim here. basically anyone from the Mariners from the mid nineties to like two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah, I don't know. You're all from Seattle now. Congratulations. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Ichiro is from Seattle. There we go. Okay. We're going to leave it there. Andrew Walsh is a host of the Too Beautiful to Live podcast, and Vaughn Jones is a producer here on Seattle Now. Thanks again, you two. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you like what you heard, there is still time to grab a ticket to tonight's Seattle Now Live event. This time, we'll be talking about the future of work with KUOW reporter Monica Nicholsberg and author and speaker Jody Ann Bury. In the meantime, thanks for listening to Seattle Now. There's a link in the show notes for tickets and more info. We can only make the show because of the support we get from listeners. Help us make more of this kind of work by donating to Seattle Now. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones and Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our wonderful production team also includes Claire McGrain and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Paige Browning. See you Monday. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.